turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We've had some uh, wonderful experiences in the book of Ephesians. I love this book. I love this book. And uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about the relationship between wives and husbands. And remember, one of the key things in there is that it is not our obligation to say we will do the right thing if they do the right thing. But we're challenged to do the right thing because of our relationship with the Lord. And so even when that husband is not being the husband that he ought to be, wives, we still are the wife to them and we still love them the way they should. Husbands, when it says to be willing to give your life for your wife, it's not saying that you are willing to offer yourself like that because she's the perfect wife. Matter of fact, we saw how the prophet was challenged to marry someone who was even a prostitute, and he still had to be loving and faithful to, to her. He still had to be loving and faithful to her and even buy her back when she went back into a life of prostitution because that prophet needed to know where the heart of God was. And husbands, and it almost seems uh, like a, a different kind of story, like we don't hear this very much, but, but husbands, if your wife is not treating you the way that she should, your obligation is still to treat her the way Christ would. Then last week we looked at children, and it says, children, obey your parents and honor them. Not because they're perfect, not because they deserve it, but because God commands it. God says to honor them. And we all know that there's really no perfect parents. Every one of us who is a parent could stand up and say, there's areas where I blew it. There's areas where I wish I could go back and redo that and, and just kind of sponge that, that day from the record or that moment from the record and do it differently. And uh, for those of you who are looking to your parents and saying, my parents just didn't do it the way they should. Okay, let me say this to you. As children of parents, who some who have passed and gone on and we can't repair anything, or some that are still here and, and even with our greatest expectations still may be hurtful towards us, find a way in your heart to honor them because God is the one who sent you through them. That may be difficult for some, but I believe that there is a special grace to you if you will learn to honor your parents, that God will also be gracious to you. The promise is that he'll bless you with a long and full life. Amen? Then it also challenges the fathers. We can say parents, but really it challenges fathers not to exasperate or frustrate your children in the way that you put demands on them. But God's expectation for us as parents, as fathers, is that we train and instruct them in the Lord. We raise them in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we've finished that passage, and now we're coming to another passage. And we're going to start off with, with uh, verse 5 today and go through verse 9. So let's go ahead and read there. This is a challenging passage to me. But he starts out in verse 5. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but, but like slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart. 
serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And then he says, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. And we're going to stop right there. Lord, would, you, would everybody just stand with me for just a moment? I'm doing that just to reverence the word, but also I feel like y'all have been sitting for a while. And we may need just to get the blood flowing again. Uh, so that we don't have to compete with snoring or something like that. <laughs> Father, I thank you, dear God, for your word. Lord, your word, even though today we're talking about slaves and masters, God, it's relevant to us. God, I do pray, Lord, that you would put a blessing on your word, your God, and what is shared and what is heard, Lord, would be able to be applied to our lives so it becomes very practical to us. And God, we're able to take your word and not just hear it, but live it. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. God, bless this time together, and may your blessings be on your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was challenging to me to, to read this passage because on one hand, I'm saying, is it really relevant to us? We're talking about slaves and masters here. I thought we have dealt with that in our nation. And then, you know, it's repulsive to me to think about slavery and this whole concept right here but we have to take the passage and look at it from a historical perspective and then see how it applies to our lives today I mentioned a little bit last week but but I, I know of someone who's has a military background and and has been sent into Africa within the last couple of months to go on an intelligence search because they are trying to combat modern-day slavery where children of young age young boys are being castrated and, and girls are being captured and they're they're bringing these children together these boys and girls and then they are trafficking them out of the nation out, out of that that central African nation through the eastern side of Africa and sending them to the Middle East today so we may live in a nation where that type of thing is not going on at least in the way that we were guilty of it in the past but the reality is that there are still nations around the world where that's still maybe undercover but it's still going on there's all kinds of reports from different countries and we won't take time to to uh, delineate those things out but the reality is that there is still slavery going on today and even in our nation that there is under under illegal practices that there are still people being captured and taken and and sold into slavery through and there's prostitution that's going on where in order to pay for their habits and and they're being provided with resources but in order to pay for that their modern day slave lords are using them and taking advantage of their lives so it's really not irrelevant to our situation today there are still things going on in the earth it may not be a part of our lifestyle and our living but it's still going on in the earth there's still the, 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 the blight of slavery going on in the world. The truth of the matter that in this 
the writing of the Ephesian book, Paul is writing to the community under the Roman Empire, and at the time of his writing, that over two-thirds of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Did you get that? Two-thirds of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. There were people who gave themselves into slavery in order to survive. In other words, financially they didn't have the means to be able to sustain themselves, so they gave themselves into slavery so that they would have somewhere to live, somewhere to eat, and even though they were bound into slavery, that they gave themselves to that because that's the only way that they saw to live. Now, if someone was a, a slave in a household and they had children and they were at that time slaves, their children would become slaves as well. And, and slaves, slave masters would propagate their number of slaves by causing their slaves to, to have children. It was a terrible institution. And at the same time, there, another way you could become slave was if your country was subjugated by another nation your country was conquered you could be brought as slaves because you that that country triumphed over you and it was so common in the area um, it's it's also possible that someone could commit some kind of crime and because they committed the crime they could be imprisoned and then from prison they could be sold into slavery and so it was such a common thing can you imagine two-thirds of the population being slaved what if we just divided up this, this congregation and we said, all right, two-thirds of you are from now on, you're slaves. You cannot self-determine. You cannot decide what you're going to do. You can't talk, think about what you're, what's going to happen with your money because every bit of money that you make actually belongs to your master. You, you really, other than what goodwill you receive from that one that was that you, under whose authority you were, you really could not determine what you were going to wear, how you're going to live, what you're going to do, what your family would be. I mean, that's a completely foreign concept to us right now. But Paul is writing to people and believers that this is a very present reality. It's something that they're dealing with on a daily basis. They're having to live under the pressure and under the weight of slavery. And what is written is just astounding to me. Because from my vantage point and my place in history, I want to say something else. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. And I want to say, slaves, run for your lives. Get out of there. Get away. But that's not what he says. The reality is, and you know, our perspective is that freedom is what they need. And in and, and his perspective, the, the, there were, within the culture of that day, two-thirds of the population being slaved. For some people, there was an employment opportunity if you weren't a slave. And understand, we have, we have an, an, an oppressive picture of slaves and masters, but there were good households to be a part of. And when you go back through Scripture, you find that even what we see in Scripture is that there were some servants and slaves in household that loved their master so much that they would give themselves to them for life. Even when they had the opportunity for freedom, say, no, we want to stay a part of this household. We find examples with Cornelius, where in Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he was a, a Roman centurion who ended up 
uh, having a, an amazing experience through the apostle Peter in his household where Peter shared the word and all of a sudden the people of the household not only were they embracing the Lord while he was speaking but they began speaking in other tongues right there while he's sharing the word they didn't go through a salvation altar call and a baptism and a, all the, the process in order to be qualified they just the Holy Spirit came on them right when they were hearing the good news about Jesus amazing story but it said Cornelius was saved and his whole household they all had an experience with the Lord and so households especially in wealthy households were comprised of the the husband and wife of the home and in some cases more than one wife and then they also had their children but also a part of their household were all of those who worked in the household that was their household and there are several instances in the Bible where you know we hear of, of households like that that had an encounter with the Lord some people chose to stay as slaves some people were sold as slaves it's not a part of our thinking and our culture but it was a reality in that day and again if they fled from their enslavement they had the potential of losing their lives their life could be taken because in an empire that's built on two-thirds slaves if a slave revolt happened which I guess is detailed out in the story of Spartacus but any any attempt for slaves to be out of revolt was was crushed with severe punishment people were were massacred and murdered in that type of thing because the Roman Empire would have fallen in on itself but um, instead of challenging them to run for your lives Paul speaks to them and says obey and that is still a foreign thing to me but he says obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with a sincere heart just as you would obey Christ so we shouldn't find it strange that the Lord somehow would challenge our perspective and cause us to look with a deeper perspective than what we could just see on the surface here he challenges them and again the word the word for slave here means it's actually used for servant 120 times in the Bible um, it's also used for someone who is a bond servant someone who has given themselves and and the word for servant there can mean a voluntary servant and it can also mean an involuntary servant like we would consider a slave someone's being forced into it but really it's someone who is in subjection someone who is subject to so sometimes that's a decision that you make yourself subject to somebody sometimes it was imposed on them and he says obey there's we may not recognize but in this passage that we've been going through here in in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and then here in chapter 6 there's this running theme of obedience and he just used the very same word for obey for obedience here of the children right above here in, in, Acts, in, in Ephesians chapter 1 children obey your parents and then he comes down here and says slaves obey your earthly masters and really it is the word there is the word the the Greek word for hearken listen to be attentive to he's challenging look listen to what they're saying hear what they're saying and then let your actions correspond with that and it, it, it when it says obey it's it's talking about submitting yourself or giving yourself to what you're hearing whatever it is that they're telling you to do you need to be willing to do that obey your earthly masters 
with respect and fear. When it talks of the word earthly masters, the word is literally uh, the same word that's used for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus, except in this term it's, it's defined as your earthly masters or literally masters of your flesh. To obey those who have got mastery over your flesh, who have, have by their position the right to tell you what you ought to do, obey them. That, that's just really foreign to us, isn't it? I, I don't, you know, until you join the military, probably most of us don't really know what it's like to have someone be master over your flesh. How many of you served in the military? It all sounds amazing until you get boot camp. All of a sudden, boot camp, I, I mean, I know experiences are different, but they yelling in your face and and their intent is to to let you know that you're supposed to do whatever they tell you to do don't question it just do it and the, the shaving of the head that they do you know they don't do that all the way now but they used to just and so many people you know get up in the morning the first thing they do is look in the mirror and look at how their hair is doing like the fawns used to i just stepped back a few years didn't i um but look at yourself i have that problem every day to get up and look in the mirror and say, man um Ralph, <laughs> um, it's not an issue with me. Um, I, all I can say is, where'd you go? Um, but they intentionally shave your head, cut the hair off, and not too gracefully or anything like that. They're not really concerned about what style you're interested in. They just cut it off because why? They want to change your perspective of identity. They want you to know that you're property of the U.S. government now, that you're there to serve. And if your superior tells you to jump out of the foxhole and run across to where the enemy is, you're supposed to jump and run. Your life may just be strategically used to help move something somewhere else. And if it costs you your life, at some points that's strategic. You're supposed to be drawing the attention of the enemy so that the army may be able to move somewhere else. So that's probably one of the closest understandings that we have today of what it means to be in this position where you've got someone who is Lord over your physical body. You don't even get to say yes or no. You just, I mean, you don't get to say no. You get to say yes, and that's it. That's your only option. If you don't say yes, then punishment can come your way. And here Paul encourages us to have that attitude where we will obey those who've got the stewardship over our physical bodies. He said, go ahead and obey them with fear and respect. I thought maybe there's some kind of deep spiritual something I could tie into those words. And then when I got to looking it up, it says with fear and trembling. It's literally, it's like you're captivated by that. And you just, you just, just, just obey with fear and trembling. Uh, there was no deep spiritual something that could come out of that. Maybe someone else could be able to pull something more, more, pertinent out of that but it just says be quick respond be obedient but he's changing their perspective not because you're so much of fear of them but why because of who you really serve folks can i just encourage you with this this life may have hardship and difficulty and things that bring you to tears and things that cause angst and 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 strain and difficulty but it's temporary. There's another day. And it's a longer day than this day. We've been bound to 24-hour days our whole life so far, but there's another day coming. It's going to be an eternity. And when we look at it, we may gasp 
this breath in because we've got some kind of difficulty. But that day, there will be no hardship or difficulty. We may struggle for a moment, but we've got a hope that endures forever. And no matter what it is that we're facing today, we know that if we can make it through today, that we've got an eternity with our Lord. This is not our reward. That's our reward. What joy we have here, we get to celebrate because we see the goodness of the Lord. But we're going to have joy unspeakable and full of glory for eternity. These light and momentary struggles. Paul talks about that. This is the same Paul who has been beaten and he's been stoned and left for dead and he's been imprisoned and he suffered all kinds of hardship. And he says these light and momentary struggles and trials because he's looking towards a better day. There's another day coming. It doesn't matter what you're having to face, what you're having to go through, what kind of hardship or accusations are coming your way. For some of us, it may be that you're in a situation and you, you know, taking this to a modern-day perspective, the slavery that you're struggling with may be with a relationship that you're having to deal with, and it may be with an employer that's oppressive and is intent on using you instead of being there really and concerned about what your needs are. You ever worked somewhere where you were just completely wrung out? Anybody? Chris, it's tough being self-employed. <laughs> you have to wring yourself out, don't you? <laughs> Sometimes where you're just, every ounce of you feels like you've been poured out and you've got to go to bed and you just kind of fall on your bed and then you've got to get up the next day to do it all over again. I know this is trivial for some of you, but... but when I was working at a, at a real estate office, we went through a, a season where we had some people out. And the area of responsibility that I was working in that time, I was the only one. And so it meant that I worked seven days a week for nine weeks. And I would leave the house at dark, and I would get home after it was dark. And by the end of the nine weeks, they decided we've got to get him some help because the brain was getting just a little bit fuzzy. I started missing things. And... <laughs> And uh, it became self-evident that we needed some help, and the Lord helped me through that. But I remember just, it's the type of determination where you just put one foot in front of the other. You know, you just get up and do it because it's there to be done. And you, you're physically, it taxes you, and emotionally you're taxed, and spiritually you can be drained. But you just do it because it's the right thing to do. And sometimes life is like that for us. We find ourselves under a hard taskmaster in whatever form that may take and Paul speaks to this situation he says look what you're doing do it as unto the Lord do it as though you were serving the Lord that person may curse you that person may be against you that person may be vile towards you they may be reacting towards you but elevate your status and realize that God may have you there not just for yourself but because there's a need there that God can fill through you I, I can't even talk about it without reflecting on that young Israelite slave girl who was a slave to an Assyrian commander. God's people? One of God's people enslaved to a foreign enemy? Live, it says a young girl in that household. You know, there were 
all kinds of abuses that could come upon a young girl in a household like that. There were things that were considered normal and acceptable that should never be normal and acceptable. We don't know what her situation is, so I don't want to be presumptuous in anything like that. But she was there to serve. And what a beautiful picture that in that household, she speaks to her mistress and says, I wish that my master could go see a man in the country that I come from. Because this Naaman, who was the commander that she was serving under, had been afflicted with leprosy. And here this young girl who's been sold into slavery that could very well look at him and say, he deserves it. God, get him some more. Teach him a lesson. Lord, that here this young girl says, I just wish that my master could go see that prophet down in Israel. And so Naaman goes down there, and without getting into that story, because that's a good lesson for another day, but he goes down there and has an encounter in a dirty river after being directed by the prophet. He said, I've got clean rivers in my own land where I came from. Why do I have to come all the way down here? And he has to go and dunk in that river, but he comes out completely clean. God used a young girl in a very hard situation to be able to bring light to a commander of an enemy nation. And he embraced the Lord, knowing that he had to go back and serve a carnal, sinful king. But he asked, he said, look, there are times where I will have to go into his, that king's temple with him. You know, and he, he asked for God's forgiveness that he would even have to escort his own king because his heart was sold to the Lord Almighty. So, I'm not sure what you're facing, and it may feel like what you're facing does feel like enslavement. It does feel like a difficult place. But even in your hardest situation, your most difficult situation, our perspective should always be that we serve one Lord. And if God, can I put it this way, if God allowed us to have to endure that place for a season, then perhaps there's a greater need than we can ever see. It is beyond our affliction that there's an opportunity for God's grace to be seen in that situation. And we need to serve as though we were serving our Lord, asking Him, Lord, what is it that you desire to do in my situation? How can you use me here to be an influence over the people that I'm coming in contact with? Do we have people that we're in contact with that may be suffering? Maybe they are being broken. Oh my goodness, the story of Tory Ken, uh, <laughs> Corey Tenboom. I'm trying to get that name wrong. Corey Tenboom. The Hiding Place. How many of you read the book, seen the movie, how she and her family were taken into a concentration camp and how in the middle of that place found the grace of God to be able to minister to people and how God used her in that place even when they were suffering so greatly. Powerful story. The Hiding Place. In our diffi most difficult situation, when we want to say, God, why am I here? In asking that question, maybe that's the very question we need to ask, but not with the negative. Lord, why? Why am I here? Why would you have allowed this? What opportunity is there in this place to be able to serve you?
I remember flying from Tampa on the way to Columbia, Bogota, and and uh, flying anywhere in Florida over the summer is like flying to Chicago in the middle of the winter. You better plan for weather. So if you're flying to Chicago, any of the northern states in the winter, you better book yourself some transition time because your subject gets stuck in a storm or have delays coming from other places. You just got to plan for it. But if you're flying through Florida, they're going every afternoon there's going to be a summer storm. And so I planned five hours transition time from my landing to my leaving from, from uh, Miami. I got to the airport on time. We boarded the plane on time in, in Tampa. We backed away and sat in the airplane on the runway because they said, there's a storm. You know, like, okay, I got five hours. They ended up bringing us back to the terminal, let us back into the plane. We spent an hour and a half back in the terminal after the fact. And I, we still got time. I, booked, I planned five hours. Put us back on the plane, flew us to Miami. When we got to Miami, they kept us on the runway in a holding pattern. They didn't let us get off the plane. They said there's no place for us to park because now there's been a flood of airplanes coming in here. Lord, that window of five hours is narrowing. We finally, you know, we finally get, they start calling out your gates for where you're going to be getting. You know, I think they're trying to, to entertain us with that information. They finally get a gate. We're at the furthest, I don't know if it's north or south, but for illustration, I'll say it's the furthest south terminal in the airport and my date's the very furthest end of that international airport. Miami's a huge airport. This is a sidebar to the thing. This is the time when I was undiagnosed with the fact that I had colon cancer, had low blood levels, so physical exercise sucked the wind out of me. I didn't have enough red blood cells in my body. So anyhow, we arrive in that airport. I literally had to run. I had to go through customs and immigration. I had to run from one end of the airport all the way to the other get to my gate in time to be able to wave at the pilot as he's backing up the plane. I literally waved at him, and he acknowledged me with the wave. And then we had, I'm standing there looking out the window. I'm like, Lord, I did my best to plan for this. I did my best. So, Lord, what's your plan? There's got to be something, something else going on here. And about that time, a couple walk up beside. He's dressed in a suit, you know, and she's very well dressed. And. He said, is that the plane to Bogota? I said, yes, it is. He said, look, I've been caught in this situation with a summer storm before. He said, our first step needs to be to get hotel rooms because we're not going to be able to get a flight out. They're going to be jam-packed. We've got to get hotel rooms. He said, I tell you what, they've got a hotel in the airport. You go with my wife to go get hotel rooms. And uh, he said, I'm going to go get in line. And the lines were already backed up, but he's saving a place in line. We knew that the hotels would be jam-packed. So we went and got hotel rooms, and then we came back. And he's standing at the counter. He said, David, David, come here. Come here. I need your passport. So I mean, it's such a bizarre scenario. And he's, they're Colombian. They're not American. They're Colombians. And so we get to meet them, and I'm asking, Lord, why is this going on? Why is this going on? Anyhow, they booked me on the early flight, and they took the later flight in order to give me the place to get to Bogota quicker. And uh, he's a businessman. And I'm like, God, why is all this going on? We shared some time, shared some talking and things like that, exchanged business cards and things like that. And about 10 days later in Bogota, I decided I need to give him a phone call. So I pull out his business card, and I, I make a phone call to him. 
I would just want to say thank you so much for being kind to me and allowing me to take that first flight and delaying your own travel with you and your wife. I said, thank you for being so kind to me. He said, well, you were coming to be a blessing to our country, and, and I, I wanted to just honor you with that, and so it's no, no problem. He, he said, where are you staying? And I told him my hotel. He said, David, you're, you're two blocks from my office. <laughs> two blocks, a city of eight or nine million people, and there were two blocks away. So Uncle Steve was on this trip, and Uncle Steve List. And we had the opportunity to, to go out and go to uh, uh, a, a fancy restaurant. They took us to a fancy restaurant. He had just been voted the president of the North American Concrete Association. I didn't know there was one. But they set the standards for all the concrete that go into skyscrapers and walkways and building projects and everything like that. And he travels around the world telling people around the world about the standard of concrete that they should use. Isn't that exciting? But... In that situation, I don't mean to trivialize by telling that type of story, but what I'm trying to tell you is when our circumstance and situation doesn't work out the way that we think it should work out, as people of God, our perspective should be more long-term than short-term. It's not about having a bad day. It's about, God, is there another plan here that maybe I haven't been aware of and I need to step into a different mode I'm not just David trying to get through a day. I am someone that's been called of God for a higher purpose, and maybe God needs me to, to reroute my day so that I would come in contact with a different person that I would normally plan on being in contact with. And so, God, if my plan's not working, what plan is it that you had that you want to be working on? Because we have one master. The promise here is, the promise here is, he says, look, if you, God's wanting it to go well with us. So let's serve our master well. Verse 6, I need to move along here because I need to get down to the next one. It says, Obey them not only to win their favor. I know y'all have never come across co-workers that did a great job when the supervisor was looking, and then they were slacking off. I know that that's not the way we do, right? Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, he's calling us to be diligent. Do the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. It's the word there is with integrity. Don't have a, a secondary motive. Don't be manipulative in why you serve. Don't do it to curry their favor. Our, our concern should be the favor that we have with the Lord, and we're, we're serving because of that. If you've got people working for you and, and they only serve when you're there looking at them, you're realizing, look, it, they look like they're doing a great job, but stuff's just not happening. When my dad was growing up in Africa, he told a story about a man who had a work crew putting up fences. And he would set the crew to work, and he was a man, he had, happened to have, this is just a sidebar, but he happened to have a, a glass eye. He lost an eye, probably stringing fences when that line, but anyhow, he had a glass eye. And, and he had this work crew that he would leave, and they'd be working away, and then he would leave to go get supplies or something, go to the store, go check on another site, and he'd come back, and they'd be working just as hard as anything, but they really hadn't made any progress. 
Never happens. <laughs> Chris. Never. <laughs> uh, anyhow, Chris has got crews that he works. So uh, I know some of, some of the other may too. But he finally one day figured out what he was going to do. So he got ready to, they were putting up fence posts and stringing barbed wire and things like that. So one day he got ready to leave. And before he did, he just popped out the glass eye and stuck it up on a post. And when he got back, they had just made all kinds of ground. <laughs> he's, got, he's got an eye on you. <laughs> uh, it worked, yeah. He says, don't just do it when they're looking at you. But let there be integrity on the inside that we do the best job because we, who we are who we are in the Lord. Amen? Serve whole, wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. So don't sit there and grumble and complain at who it is that you're working for. Don't grumble and complain about your employer. You do the best job. Stand out as the best worker that they have. Do what you've been called to do. And do it well. Be a good example. Because it says here, you know that the Lord will reward everyone. Where does your reward come from? God has ways of rewarding you even when people here don't appreciate you. Even when people down here will use you. God can bless you. God will reward everyone for whatever he does, whether he is slave or free. See, the person that is free is still under a master. The person that is a slave is under a master. But our Lord is a higher Lord, not that earthly kind of Lord, not that walking on the earth kind of Lord, but... Our, our Lord is in heaven. And then he turns around and he speaks to masters. Treat your slaves in the same way. And you know, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this because of the concept of being, being a master of that day. But when Paul's talking here in context to a master over a household or a master over slaves, again, think about the fact, two-thirds of the population are slaves. So there were people that found them in the position where they were managing a household. If they were a master and they did have a good heart towards those who were working in their household. If they wanted to see them taken care of and there were good Christians and we know that there were good um, uh, stewards over households because of the fact that there were slaves that chose to live with their masters rather than to leave and have to look for, un for employment elsewhere. If you were a Christian and you were trying to do right by your household, just think if you woke up tomorrow and you had this vineyard that had been passed down for 500 years through your family and, and all of a sudden you are responsible for taking care of this household and you have to have work, workers there, how would you respond? How would you as a Christian respond to those people knowing for some of those people if they left, in that environment of that day with two-thirds of the population being slaves that they can't just go out and get employment anywhere but you've got a stewardship of people so you need to treat them right and do right by them to see them advance to see them lifted up to give them opportunities within your household so it's, it's not you know it's possible that yes you could give them freedom but they're still going to need employment, so you could free them within your household. How do you care for them as Christ would care for his own? Even the masters are told, it says, look, don't threaten them. Don't be harsh. Don't be mean towards them. Don't threaten them so that you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. 
and there's no favoritism with him. You know what's interesting about this no favoritism? Go, go back and look up the words favoritism because we know that there's several passages that deal with favoritism. Several of the passages that deal with favoritism are actually dealing with judgment where it's saying that there's no favoritism with him, meaning don't think you're going to get off easy just because you are of a high position. You know, we look at the favoritism, well, it's blessing. God doesn't have any favorites. He'll bless us all equally. It's also in the Scriptures used over and over again several times about judgment. God's not going to overlook the fact that maybe you're high-born. God's not going to overlook that fact that maybe your status is at a certain place in society. God's not going to overlook the fact God's going to judge even. If you're mistreating people, God's going to punish you for it. So be fair by people. Be just in how you treat people. Your master in heaven's got an eye on you. There's a powerful passage in Scripture, a, a real a masterful work. I keep saying that a lot, but the Bible's amazing. Are you all familiar with the book of Philemon? Paul writes the book of Philemon. Paul himself has, been, has, has suffered a lot of, of difficulty. And I can't remember right now if he was imprisoned at the time. I think he was when he wrote the book of Philemon. So if y'all remember, y'all let me know. But anyhow, he writes the book of Philemon to a slave owner. This slave owner is indebted to Paul because Paul shared life with him. He shared Christ with him. And uh, apparently he is someone of, of some means. But Paul writes him a letter to go along with a slave that ran away. Understanding a slave that ran away back in that day they were quick to make an example, okay? He had fled from his master. He had run away from the household, so literally could be severely, severely punished at the least and literally could lose their life and be made an example of. But this runaway slave had, came into contact with Paul, and in running away, it wasn't just that he left the household. That was considered stealing as well because he was considered property, so the slave's name was Onesimus, okay? So Paul writes to Philemon about Onesimus, and Paul writes of Onesimus, this runaway slave with the most, most shining, uh, endeared heart. He says, I'm sending to you Onesimus, who is my heart. And he, Onesimus, has been a blessing to Paul in prison. It's been a blessing to him. But knowing not only could, a, could Onesimus lose his life, but that Paul also could be held responsible for harboring a, a slave that ran away, Paul does the right thing by the Lord and says, Onesimus, what you did is, is not right in this, you know, and he says, you need to return to your master, but I'm sending a letter with you. And so Paul sends Onesimus back. That just kind of rocks the brain to just even think about it. But he sends Onesimus back but writing a letter to Philemon and saying, Philemon, this man, Onesimus, was useless to you. Interestingly enough, the name Onesimus means useful. But this man was useless to you, but he has been useful to me, and now I'm returning to him to you not only as a slave, but also as a brother. And Paul says, he will be useful to you, and Paul says, but I desire that you do even more than that. Paul's desire is that with Onesimus coming back and doing the right thing as a brother in the faith now, that this 
Philemon would be stirred in his spirit and would embrace him not as a slave but as a brother and, and give him the freedom to return back and serve Paul, to be a servant to Paul. And Paul includes the fact he said, you are really indebted to me because of the life that I shared with you. He puts that on there. He says, but I'm not making you do it. I'm giving you the opportunity to do it. And then Paul adds this little note in there, and he says, and by the way, would you prepare a room for me because I'm coming to see you? <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. So whatever you decide to do, I'm coming to your house, <laughs> okay? So uh, it's really a, an amazing, amazing story. Transformation. Look, it doesn't matter where you stand in life. This gospel that we have, should challenge you to live the best life possible. It should challenge you to your core to do the Christ-like thing in every situation where our lives are unsubmitted to the Lordship of Christ. We should be challenged. I wish I could remember the scenario. Maybe it's best that I don't share it. But just the other day, I was talking to someone, and they said, you know, I told, the Lord the, I told the Lord not too long ago that I would never do this. And folks, let me just tell you that the very utterance of those words out of your lips, the very fact that you allow them to harbor in your heart, the very fact that you mold them in your mind and you say, I will never do this, means that God, out of loving his loving kindness to us has to challenge that area of your life, whether he intends for you to do it or not. But when you put up a wall to his lordship, God's goodness to us has to challenge that wall. Don't ever say, I'm never going to marry a preacher. Don't ever say, I'll never go to the mission field. Lord, I'll go to the mission field, but I'll never go to this area. The Lord has to deal with that. I will never... Show love to that kind of person because I was so hurt by that kind of person. I will never, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. <laughs> because if God really loves you, he has to challenge every idol that's put up in place of his lordship. So, yes, make yourself available to the Lord. And he's gracious. He's a faithful rewarder of those who serve him. Whether you're a business owner, whether you are a supervisor, whether you are a worker in a factory, whether it's to your husband or to your wife or whether it's to your children or to your parents, if you'll do it as unto the Lord, God will be your rewarder because you're doing it in service to him. Amen? Let we stand together and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're getting ready to step into another phase in this book that starts dealing with spiritual warfare. Our victory in Christ. But let's make sure that we have the attitude of a servant and where we have the opportunity to be able to, to help govern or to help other people, to rule over other people. When I mean that, I'm talking about like... Uh, to, to be supervisor role over other people. Let's make sure that we still 
have that attitude to where we're doing it as unto the Lord. Father, we thank you, dear God. I thank you, dear God, because you've saved us, dear God, but you didn't leave us in the same, can I just be plain enough and say cesspool, the place that you found us? But God, you wash us and you make us clean, dear God, and then you teach us how to live a life, dear God, that is really rewarding. God, we've got the opportunity to to really confuse people who don't know about you because they don't understand why we're so good or why we're Christ-like. They don't understand how we can love in a hard situation and why we can do the right thing when other, everybody else, just out of habit, does the wrong thing. But, God, we want to serve you in that kind of way. Jesus, teach us how to be servants. We read that passage earlier about a suffering servant. And you, the Lord of the universe, the the land, lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. When you came on this earth and you filled everything that was required of you, it said that you didn't hold back from being obedient even to the cross. Lord, you know what obedience is all about. Teach us, dear God, how to be obedient to you and live a life that's profitable for the kingdom. And we will have our reward. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.